Okay. Here we are. I think I have us live. Oh my gosh, folks, all of you in the audience. <laughs> this is the first time I've been able to do this with the new Restream and Zoom protocols. So um, thank you so much for uh, bearing with me. And I'm so happy to see all of you live. Oh my gosh. So um, let me get the program going because I'm really, really um, excited for you to meet my friend Monisha Rios. And we're going to talk about Puerto Rico in this episode, which uh, is part of Latin America and the Caribbean and that we don't talk about enough. And that um, um, actually the people who in Puerto Rico are U.S. citizens, uh, but not full citizens. So let me introduce the program and we can talk about all of um, all of this. So, okay, everyone, welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Black Alliance for Peace, Haiti America's team, Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas. We broadcast Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live, including channels for The Convo Couch, Popular Resistance, and Code Pink. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, radindymedia.com, and now under podcasts at popularresistance.org. Today's episode, The Devastating Effects of Militarization on Puerto Rico and Her People, How One Activist is Promoting Health Justice for Vieques and Culebra. And our guest is Monisha Rios. She is a Puerto Rican psychologist, social worker, and disabled U.S. veteran. She is also the founder and director of Centro Solidario de Puerto Rico, uh, which is uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about um, in this episode. So before I have you meet her, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, so here we are. The U.S. has been overtly and covertly intervening in Puerto Rico's internal affairs since 1898. Like the Spanish, British, Dutch, and the French, the U.S. understood the strategic value of, Puerto Rican, of the Puerto Rican archipelago, which would give their expanding empire a military advantage toward enforcing the Monroe Doctrine, thereby securing its established intent to dominate the Western Hemisphere. A new wave of militarization began soon after the change of colonial ownership, the implications of which would devastate the island's municipalities of Culebra and Villaques. Culebra was militarized in 1901 and expelled the U.S. Navy in 1975. Vieques was militarized in 1941 and expelled the U.S. Navy in 2003. And so in today's episode, we're going to discuss this militarization, what it took to remove the U.S. Uh, Navy from both of these uh, parts of Puerto Rico and, and what has remained um, of the island since and how the militarization has also uh, affected uh, the citizens of Puerto Rico. So welcome, Monisha. Hello. Thank you, Terry, for having me back. <laughs> I'm so happy our, our audience may remember Monisha from, gosh, we've had you visit us at least twice, I think. So mm -hmm. um, to talk about, um, specifically to talk about the debt crisis in Puerto Rico. But um, this episode, we're going to talk uh, um some about the history of Puerto Rico, and then we're going to talk about how um, talk about your project, so, <laughs> which I'm really excited about. And I should share with the audience. Manisha said, "You know, I'm really kind of nervous to talk tonight, and it's and this is a really personal, a very very personal journey she's going to share with you in this episode, and uh, and a really fabulous project she has developed to uh, help her." her fellow Puerto Rican citizens and our fellow U.S. citizens. So, so with that, maybe we should get started. Sure. I'll follow your lead. Okay. So what, uh, 
what we want to share with the audience um, in this episode is Monisha has a beautiful PowerPoint presentation that she uh, is using to um, develop her project, which she's going to tell you about, and also um, to uh, share some brief history about herself and uh, in Puerto Rico. And let me just, um, I want to just mention that um, her project is, she's the founder and director of Centro Solidario de Puerto Rico. And so we're gonna do a little bit of personal history on Monisha and a little bit of history on Puerto Rico so that you understand why she developed this project, what it is, and then what you can do to help. So that'll be your activist hat tonight. <laughs> when you're done talking, watching us, you can, you can see you know, what you can do to help. Uh, our fellow U.S. citizens of Puerto Rico. So why don't we start with your PowerPoint presentation? Sure. All right, give me just one sec. Yeah. So, okay, before you start, I want everybody to see this beautiful graphic that she's used on, on the uh, title so, page. Okay. Before you start, Whoops. And um, I want you all to see this beautiful graphic she's used on her title page because it is the graphic that I chose to use for this episode's uh, social media shareable. And I have to say, Monisha, that we got a lot of comments the last several days that we've been promoting this episode. People, one, just thought it was really, really beautiful, the actual design of it, um, but also very poignant with, um, and very, uh, and, and very, uh, cynic, um, very tied to what you're doing. We're looking at bombs and explosives and then this man planting, which is so, uh, perfect for the project we're going to talk about. So this, this piece came from an article in Orion magazine around uh, about the food sovereignty programs that's happening in Vieques currently, um, particularly La Colmena Cimarrona, which is an amazing, amazing, amazing effort um, that I encourage everyone to um, contribute to. Um, it's uh, food sovereignty so that we have clean food, healthy food, um, because Puerto Rico as a whole, and especially in Vieques and Culebra, we rely on imported food. Um, so a lot of our health related problems are a direct result of unhealthy food that is imported here. And a lot of it has to do with the militarization of the land over time, as well as um, the other effects of colonization, which mean that our land is not available to us to grow food, to sustain ourselves. Rather, it's used for tourism, it's used for particular industries that actually don't help improve the lives of our people. Um, and it's used also for US military activity. So that's what that image is about. Um, and uh, the link to the article itself should... Um, I'll put that in the chat okay. for everyone, the link. And it's by Indy Maverick which I think in the program notes, I've in, I shared the link to that website, but I'll, I'll put the, um, the article link as well for all of you to see. So, okay. Thanks. Let's hear, let, let's, let's, let's go through your presentation because it's really, really um, very informative on a lot of levels. Thank you. Um, and before I do, I just want to let everyone who's watching and listening know I'm going to have to take coughing breaks. So apologies in advance, <laughs> but um, <coughs> it's it's a thing. So this is uh, uh, about Casa Seba, which is the, the current uh, iteration of our health justice project that we have at Central Solidario. Um, particularly, we target Vieques and Culebra because of the historic um, militarization and effects of militarization on the land and lives of the people who live there. Um, I've used this presentation, as Terry said, for, for different groups. Uh, this is a little bit about me. That's 
me as a kid. I love the my, photo. My dad. <laughs> yeah, he's the Viacense in the family. <laughs> so uh, my dad's side of the family comes from Vieques. So this is a very oh. personal thing for me. Um, being someone from the Puerto Rican Viacense diaspora, I was born outside of Puerto Rico and outside of Vieques as a result of the the military violence that occurred there, the poverty that goes along with it uh, and the struggle. So um, there's just tells you a little bit more about my work um, and then my relevant experience that goes with the, the project itself, which we'll get to. So, you know, one of the, one of the things I love that you say is that you are a rematriated yes. Puerto Rican. Rematriated versus a repatriated. Yes. Puerto Rican. I think that's significant. Yes, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. Repatriation is kind of a return to your the nation state, but rematriation is a return to the land, to Mother Earth, to mm-hmm. yeah, it's so much more uh connected than than simply coming back to a political economic entity. You're coming back to the land that your ancestors walked on and suffered on and bled on. Um, so. And so when did you rematriate yourself? January, 2020. Okay. I thought it was in the last, within the last three to five years. So, and what motivated you to do that? Oh, well, I, uh, growing up, I always wanted to be here. <laughs> um, I always wanted to know my other relatives and, and our culture um, because of the conditions in the U.S., a lot of diaspora, you know, not just from Puerto Rico, but other nations, particularly Spanish speaking, um, there's a tendency for some families to not teach the culture, to not teach the language. It's a, a way of self-preservation uh, self through assimilation. Um, right. So that is really what my experience was like. But in my heart, I always felt this longing and then hurricanes Maria and Irma happened and it it just was like okay I I I have to be there you know um I went for the first time in in the summer of 2019 met family that I hadn't seen since I was a baby some that I had no recollection of meeting and many of them and many of the community leaders and organizers said you know we need your generation to come home. <laughs> There's work to do. La lucha continua, it's not over. So if you have some work you can do, come do it. So that's what's like, okay, mission accepted. <laughs> yeah. So let's go through a little bit of the history of Puerto Rico and then let's talk about the work that you're doing. Yeah. So this uh, folks have heard uh, you say, so it's true. Um, oftentimes people don't think of Puerto Rico as a separate country because we are colonized by the U.S. and we are considered um, partial U.S. citizens. But the truth is that the U.S. has treated Puerto Rico in the same way that it treats the other countries in our region through um, various methods of interventionism. Well, you know, um, one thing that you and I have talked about, and I'll just throw this out for the audience, you know, when you're south of the U.S. border, um, people refer to the, the United States as the United States and Puerto Rico. Giving yes, it, it's, yeah. Sorry. And I think that's important. And, and, and it's throughout, you know, Latin America and the Caribbean that you hear that. Yeah. Thankfully, um, not everyone sees us as, they don't all identify us as, as a U.S. Um, yeah they understand the situation of the colonialism and what that means for us as a Latin American and Caribbean nation. Um, so yeah, the, the Monroe Doctrine is coming upon this, to what is it, 200 years now? Yes, this year. The, mm-hmm. the 200 anniversary. 1823, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yuck, we don't like the Monroe Doctrine. The Monroe, the Monroe Doctrine, the Spanish-American War was kind of the first impetus of the U.S. taking action on the Monroe Doctrine. Uh, because the Spaniards were the, they were a dying empire at the time, um, and the U.S. waited until the Bolivarian Revolution kind of took care of business 
And then once there was less of a threat and less of a challenge with the Spanish Empire, that's when they decided to come in and rescue. This was the first Bolivarian revolution led by Simón Bolívar, el libertador. Yes. <laughs> Exacto. Yeah. So they decided that, um, oh, we're going to rescue Cuba. We're going to rescue Puerto Rico and Guam and the Philippines from the horrible Spanish. But they never intended to, to have a free Puerto Rico. And their intention with Cuba was to have an illusion of independence um, by like having the first proxy government. Um, and Guantanamo, the base in Guantanamo um, was the first I wrestle with this technicality because I I view all U.S. expansionism, even before that point, as a violation of sovereignty of the indigenous peoples and nations uh, in the North. So outside of, of those borders, Guantanamo Bay is the first uh, U.S. military base, foreign military base, technically. But the reason why um, Puerto Rico was so appetizing to the US was because they were able to see how the Spanish used Puerto Rico. They considered Puerto Rico as the, the US has Antilles, Cuba as the, the key to Latin America. So together having possession of Cuba and Puerto Rico was very advantageous for this empire that was wanting to expand. Um, and with that came the militarization. So some of the facts that you read out for folks in the introduction was about how Culebra um, and for those who are listening, I'm showing a map of Puerto Rico, which if you look online, you can see um, where the islands of Culebra and Vieques are situated in relationship to the larger island of Puerto Rico. And so Culebra, the militarization process began in 1901, not that long after the, the, the Spanish-American War ended. Um, sorry. So I'm gonna kind of go quickly through this because it's a lot of information. Um, and I don't just want to talk at people. So, um, but the the idea, some of the ideas that they had about how to handle the people who already were living in Culebra, which includes, yes, we have the Spanish colonizer uh, blood. We also have our indigenous ancestors. We have our our African. Uh, Puerto Rico is part of the African diaspora as well due to the transatlantic slave trade, which began here in the Caribbean um, because of the Spanish. So a lot of the people who live in, in these islands are not necessarily in the classes of like the white Spaniard and don't benefit from the, <laughs> the same things. They don't benefit in the same way um, in society. So as the U.S. was looking at how they wanted to use Culebra, they were looking at communities that in the U.S. would be considered black and brown and, and ex wanting to just expel them, completely remove and, and completely displace the entire town, I guess, of Culebra and strictly militarize it. But that got pushed back. <coughs> Pardon me. So, and they tried this a couple of times um, and the most recent was 1970. Um, and it, it really, even though Vieques was being militarized um, not long after, um, sorry, I jumped ahead. So the citizens of Culebra were already experiencing bombings. They were already experiencing the contamination and a lot of the things that eventually came to Vieques. Um, but so they were the first to resist successfully through popular resistance um, and peaceful resistance. And they, they expelled the Navy in 1975. So these are some photos um, from those early days of the militarization. And in the lower left, you can see just lines and lines of sailors coming into the town, which of course, when you have and I say this, unfortunately, from experience as a veteran, when you have large groups of military personnel, you have large incidents of sexual violence, other kinds of violence that go on in the communities that they are occupying. So the same is true for Calibra and Vieque. Um, yes. Vieques, the militarization began in, <coughs> excuse me, 1941. 
Okay. Thank you for your patience. Oh, sure. So the land theft started in 1941, and that was before Pearl Harbor. And you will hear a lot of people try to justify why this occurred because of World War II. Excuse me once again. But what's interesting is that the historians who have chronicled this show that the expropriations actually began before Pearl Harbor even happened. So before the U.S. even had, had its impetus to join World War II, they were already planning to militarize Vieques. So that's one of the false narratives that were used to try and justify their actions. So here are some quotes from Vieques about how the bulldozers were used as a weapon against them too. Excuse me. So basically, they were told they had 24 hours to leave. This was happening to my grandparents mm -hmm. uh, and other relatives. Um, it's happening across the Americas today. Yeah. yeah. It happened in Okinawa. Literally bulldozed off their lands. Yeah. I've personally witnessed that with the Garifuna community in Honduras, on the Atlantic coast of Honduras. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awful. We, I can't imagine, like the quote that says we had seven children, they threatened us with the bulldozers. I, I cannot imagine uh, being in that situation and having the, the threats. Um, and this quote I found to be very impactful, uh, particularly the part that people were afraid to express themselves, um, to express their opposition. Um, they had no say, they had no one backing them up. They felt like they were enslaved and that they had no rights, which is true. Um, and these, these maps show the progression of the expropriations. So this here is the island of Vieques. <clears throat> um, before the expropriations where it shows like how populated certain areas were. And then um, through the years, how it shows how two thirds of the island were basically taken and much of the population was removed, sent to St. Croix, sent to Puerto Rico, sent to the States, sent to Hawaii, sent anywhere else in work programs. And the rest were shoved into the, the center of Vieques um, to, to live in the, the first um, slums in Santa Maria. Um, and then Monte Santo. Um, those are two communities in Vieque. So um, basically the people of Vieque with every, all of the testing that the US had done there, every single war from that time had been practiced, including the, the Iraq war, Afghanistan. Um, NATO forces were invited to come and use Vieques bombing range and everything else as well. Um, so, uh, the western, eastern side of Vieques was, was reserved as the practice bombing range. And that's where they tested all sorts of, of warfare, including chemical warfare, depleted uranium trap, I'm sorry, chaff, cluster bombs, napalm, agent orange, cadmium, lead, arsenic, psychological operations, sexual terrorism. Um, and we, we still don't know what the other countries were using when they were coming for their practices. And there's no way for us to find that out. The Navy <laughs> isn't talking. <laughs> so here are some photos from the, the resistance. Um, this up in the upper left is um, shows some of the struggle in Culebra. To the right of that is the fishermen in Vieque. Um, and just beneath that is uh, other shots of the fishermen in Vieque going at it with um, Navy boats, police boats. And then in the lower right is um, some success, uh, some celebration that's a leftover tank <laughs> that's still there on the beach, rotting away. Um, so that's them occupying uh, the area. 
So even though in both of these two islands, the war games stopped, the bombing stopped, the fight for justice has not stopped because you still have contamination you still have occupied land because the, the, the lands that were taken back from the Navy were given to U.S. Fish and Wildlife to manage. And the Navy still has to clean up all of it, including in the water. Um, and that's going to take forever if it ever gets done. So our people want a dignified maritime transportation system because that has been recently privatized. Um, and it, pretty much the standard operating procedure for privatization is that you divest from public services to the point that they fail, that they're no longer serving the people in the way that they should, that the workers themselves are not supported in doing the jobs that they many of them genuinely want to do well for their people. Um, and so you create discontent among the people, which then you offer privatization as a solution. Uh, so that's what happened with the maritime transportation that brings people from Vieques and Culebra to the big islands of Puerto Rico for shopping, for access to healthcare, and so on. We want decontamination. We want the full, re complete return of the lands to the people. Environmental justice, food sovereignty, health sovereignty. We want a hospital, equal and equitable housing, which is not just for Airbnbs and tourism, or the super rich that come buy their mansions, or people who come and and buy a restaurant or buy a, a guest house and then bring their own employees with them from the U.S. and only put biakenses in in the kitchen or for cleaning. Uh, we want compensation for the harm. Uh, cost to, to health, um, reparations, decolonization, sustainable community development, and full complete demilitarization. Because we still have the relocatable over the horizon radar system in Vieque and on the big oh island of Puerto Rico. Yeah, so the Navy's not totally gone. <laughs> how are we doing on time, Terry? What's that? How, how are we on time? We're, we're good. Um, okay. I want to be sure we talk about your project, but no, we're yeah. fine. I okay. just, you know, listening to you describe um, the situation, this, this is, you know, a whole nother episode in and of itself uh, for the audience, but what the disaster capitalism has created, the privatization of just about everything, and particularly creating, you know, an island that's based on tourism, for wealthy people only and um, yeah and that's a model being used across across the hemisphere and across the world and that you know like i said that's a whole nother <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation but i think it's important to point that out the whole disaster capitalism aspect of puerto rico not just the military occupation and what's left behind but the hurricanes as well yeah and i think looking at vieques as a case example of how this works everywhere else that the u.s has militarized as well you know, like the problems we're facing here are no different than the problems that they're facing in Okinawa, in Vietnam, and, you know, go down the list, Jeju Islands, everywhere, Marshall Islands, <laughs> you yeah. know, Hawaii. So <clears throat> it is a shared struggle, truly. Um, so in these photos, this shows the ongoing contamination that occurs during open detonation. So, um, over to the left, you can see big clouds of smoke that are explosions from an open detonation of old ordinance. So they're still releasing the same toxins, the same chemicals, the same compounds of warfare into the air and environment during the cleanup process. And the same matriarchs that led a large portion of the struggle continue to lead a large portion of the struggle for a proper cleanup through enclosed detonation chambers. And they succeeded. And now the Navy has, I believe, two. But the issue is, and you can see in some of the other photos, that the ordinance itself, if it's not stable enough to move into an enclosed detonation chamber, sometimes it's just too big. Mm -hmm. So the only option is an open detonation, either in the air or in the water which continues the contamination, yeah. which continues the risks to the health. So um, this is you know, still, it's not over. Just because no. the bombing ends- It's almost like it's just beginning. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So when you go now to the area that has been taken back, um, there are signs all over because these there's a, a, some of this is publicly accessible now. It's turned into beaches, which is great for tourism. Um, it's a refuge, a wildlife refuge. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but you have to look out for unexploded ordnance. So it's not exactly safe all the time. And they have areas where you're still not allowed to go into because it's definitely not safe. And every now and then they'll close the beaches um, in order to go through again and do another uh, round oh. of cleanup. And what's, what's really interesting, Terry, is that recently the Navy was going to close, once again, the beaches that they had reopened, like they do every now and then. But... <laughs> The predominantly U.S.-owned tourism businesses in BIA raised H.E. double hockey sticks and said, this is going to hurt our business. Don't close the beaches. So even the though the complied. exposure is there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so man. instead of advocating for cleanup and, you know, taking a hit like everybody else does, they said, no, don't close the beaches because it will hurt our business. This is peak season. So, and uh, these photos are some of the resistance, um, some of the protests, some of the demands for, for change that the community has done. Um, Somos más que ciento por 35, which is where more than 100 by 35, that is a collective of people from both uh, Culebra and Vieque that demand a better uh, maritime transportation service. These um, cement blocks down here, um, and these over here to the right that show um, hospital for Vieques now, um, that's because the, the hospital in Vieques got destroyed by Hurricanes Maria and Irma. And still there's no hospital and children are dying because of that. Um, and um, so the, it's just constant, uh, constant struggle. So here's again, some images of, of People expressing, you know, their their anger, their despair, their demand, their human rights to be to be honored and respected. And um, and this sign says this is not a hospital, not one, not another life. And this is a picture of a young woman named Adalis Ventura, who she died 13 years old because there was no ventilator in the hospital and or in the, the makeshift hospital. <laughs> It's a, a, called a CDT, it's, it's not actually a hospital, um, but other, other kids have died too. And more images from, from the demands and protests, education, transportation, health, uh, hospital, dignified transportation and food sovereignty. Um, so I'll, I'll continue. So for these reasons and more, uh, this is why Centro Solidario de Puerto Rico was formed. Um, Centro Solidario for those who are would like a translation that is the Solidarity Center of Puerto Rico. So, um, so this, you know, I also want, I just want to share with the audience that this is a vision that you have had for a long time. And I know on the, on prior episodes that you have joined us, you've mentioned this vision and this house you bought. And so for me personally, and for, for, uh, for the audience that's been with us for a while now, you you all remember this the story and so it's really just beautiful to watch this you know idea come to fruition and hopefully we can we can help move it along even forward those of us watching tonight <laughs> thank you i appreciate that we need all the help we can get um so i'll i'll skip ahead a little bit um because eventually this this will all be put onto a website for people um so um, it's just about our purpose, vision, and mission. Um, this is really important. So Centro Solidario is not just the house. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's meant to be kind of like a, um, it's like an organism. I guess it, I'll just read that. Um, Centro Solidario de Puerto Rico functions as a living organism rather than an organization. It's like an ecosystem. Um, and the local solidarity project is the house. That Casa yeah, and the house is for what? The, the house is this. So 
Um, I'll go ahead and read this out for the folks who are listening and not viewing. Casa Ceiba is Centro Solidario's pilot project. It's a two-story house near the ferry port on the Big Island, located in Ceiba, Puerto Rico. When fully renovated and equipped, it will function as a medical solidarity hospitality house. Stays and transportation are provided at no cost to patients and caregivers. Animals in need of veterinary care are also welcome. The initiative is made possible by the Land Trust and International Network. So the three parts of Centro Solidario consist of local, national, and international solidarity efforts. The, the local is this medical solidarity house. And the reason why is because without a hospital in Vieque, without, uh, in Culebra, they have a better uh, little treatment center, but they still have a lot of unmet needs. So folks have to travel on a ferry here to the Big Island for everything, including to give birth, including cancer treatment and, and everything. Um, and when they get here, they have to figure out where am I gonna stay? How am I going to get to where I need to go? How long do I need to be here? Can I afford any of this? And oftentimes, no one can. So you have people who, who sleep in their cars, who sleep outside in the, the street, who will sleep, find a place to sleep in the hospital. Since many of them have to come with their kids. They, if they can't find transportation, you know? So I... I, I, I couldn't see this happening, you know, and I'm, I'm lucky because I have a disability check that I get each month. And so in talking with community leaders, neighbors, friends, family members, and really connecting with this lack of access to healthcare and, you know, seeing the number of funerals that happen just constantly, constant funerals in Vieque. Uh, I, we tried first to establish a medical solidarity network on the big island in the city, the cities of Ceiba and Fajardo, working with anybody <laughs> that we could. And while the uh, desire was there for a lot of people, the capacity is not, because mm -hmm. we're not just, com we're competing with the real estate industry, which is fed by the tourism industry. So we have colonization and gentrification happening simultaneously. And we also have a very corrupt government. So it is next to impossible just to find a place to rent, never mind to, to, to get access to land and structures that we can then convert and put to use for our communities, for our health and well being. So that's, we couldn't get the, the solidarity network going because nobody had the capacity to do it or the resources to do it. And then when I was sick with COVID and I had to come over here, I had to face the decision to leave Bieke and rent a place over here in the Big over Island. Over here being the Big Island of Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I needed a long, long-term recovery for my lungs. And um, while I was looking, I found this place. And I, I reached out to some of the, the community leaders that I'd been working with we were trying to get that off the ground. And I was like, what do you think of this? What if we just do it? I can use my veterans benefits, you know, and, and, and at least if we can get one place and we can fix it up as best as we can, at least we have one place. Yeah. All we need is one place to start and we can do it, you know? And so they were like, yeah, go for it, please. We need this. And even before, like this place is not ready, uh, but right away, they were connecting me with people who needed the place to stay, who needed transportation, who needed food deliveries, who needed whatever. I was getting calls in the middle of the night, like, Monisha, can you go run and check on this relative? Because the hospital is not telling them what's going on and their family's worried and be okay. Can you just run? And I was like, yeah, I'll go. So that's how it started. And now we have a, a council. Um, um, we have fiscal sponsorship with Alliance for Global Justice, um, and we're really focused on building our capacity to, to continue. And this is a picture of the house and the, the van. Both the house and the van are in my name, and I don't, I would prefer that not to be, because uh, this is for the community. But that's why um, the national initiative is the Community Land Trust, which once that is established and becomes a legal entity, then I can transfer ownership to the trust 
and then it really becomes community property and uh, not property of Monisha. Um, but yeah, we need a lot of help. <laughs> we, we have uh, hurricane damage still from Fiona and FEMA is a big joke. Um, so there's, I'm not gonna get the help from FEMA that I need. Um, there's also the problem of the electricity, like we talked about on previous episodes. Um, so we really need solar. We need the roof repaired. We need, we need a lot of work on the house. Um, and I've been self-funding pretty much most of it, um, with occasional like major donors who like help with the down payment on the vehicle, um, help with paint, help with some tools. Um, and I have amazing neighbors that are helping folks come from Vieque sometimes to volunteer, um, folks uh, from the veterans anti-war movement have come to volunteer, but we need a lot. You know, just briefly, if we could go back, you mentioned, you know, the, the power grid, the electricity for the audience, the Puerto Rico had public, Yes, energy. And then after the hurricane, it was all privatized. And the private company services less of the population <laughs> than the yes. public. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the whole disaster capitalism model again, as well. In fact, yeah. we had done an episode once where we weren't sure if you were going to have electricity. <laughs> yeah. For the whole, for the entire conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what's interesting is what's happening now is that was just the privatization of the distribution of the electricity. The generation was still under public uh, control, supposedly. Now it's in the process of privatizing the generation, which is going to add more cost. So, you know, no one's going to be able to afford to live. They barely can now. And uh, yeah. So, um, but this this is the the project. This is Casa Seva, um, and once we're able to to get the 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 necessary legal structure in place for the land trust, then we'll be able to. Um, I will move away from the house, and then the whole entire house will be put to use for medical solidarity. We want to make it accessible for people with mobility needs, we want to make it safe. Solar, um, have, uh, have it be completely off grid if possible um, in such a way that it can sustain life, it can sustain like ventilators, um, keep medicine cold during a storm, um, all, all that. Things that, you, that we would all think are so simple, like medications in a refrigerator. Yeah. You use the power in it, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things you and I were talking about before uh, when we were planning this episode, because this episode fell right on the heels after I had visited here in Mexico City, uh, La Plaza de los, Las Tres Culturas, the Plaza of Three of Three Cultures, meaning Aztec, Spanish, and modern, principally um, student student revolutions in the 60s and 70s here in Mexico. And when we were at the plaza, I think this was last Saturday, we were talking about the destruction and the, the annihilation of the Aztec empire after Hernan Cortes was here and how it was a complete collapse of the culture and society. And I, and, you know, there's a lot of things that we had always were raised to think guns, germs, gun steel and germs. And, but how it was explained to me last week, and this is why I mentioned it because it just seems so much to what's happening to Puerto Rico now, 500 years later, that when you take away the infrastructure, people's language, their culture, their trade, their their ability to network on all levels, there is a collapse. And so now in Puerto Rico, that, you know, and I, and you could equiv equivocate sanctions, 
a sanctions regime to that, in, I think, as well. But now in Puerto Rico, so you, so you have no electricity. So now you have no refrigeration for medicines and, and, and healthy food storage. And so now you've got people who, it's, it's a collapse as well. No, no access to healthy food or uncontaminated food. You're diabetic, you can't keep the insulin refrigerated or whatever else, you know, medications you're on. And, you know, that's a different, it's an, it's an insidious form of collapse. It's not like this overt uh, military invasion or something of that sort. And, I, and, and it, like I had shared with you, it's, it's the same. What Puerto Rico is seeing is the same exact model of collapse from 500 years ago. Nothing's changed. No. And it's important for people to, to, to remember that what has been done to Puerto Rico from the beginning of U.S. occupation is how the U.S. practiced what it's been doing to everybody else in our region, yeah. in Latin America and the Caribbean. The tactics that they practice on us here through colonialism, which is its own type of sanction and warfare, it has paved the way for. So, yeah. And I, I did forget to mention something um, crucial. When I talked about uh, government corruption, I, I wanted to share exactly how it's impacted the project directly. So what I'm sharing now are a couple of articles that came out right around literally the same month that I closed on the house. So I had discussed the project with people in the community, the neighborhood, um, as well as the seller of the house, because here people are very interested in why are you buying this? You know, are you going to make it an Airbnb? So I wanted <laughs> to show that, no, <laughs> this is going to help us. Um, it will never be an Airbnb. <laughs> no, never. Um, over my dead body. Um, <laughs> but it blows my mind that all of a sudden, the mayor of the municipality that this house is in receives $50,000 from the Puerto Rican government to create La Casa de Vieques y Culebra. And that is exactly what I was calling the house at the time. Oh. And it's almost verbatim, everything that I had outlined that I wanted to do with the house, suddenly, and then and, and <laughs> this municipality, which the, the politics that are here are centered around status, and this mayor happens to be in the statehood party, which is currently in control, which is currently one of the, one of the most corrupt parties. Um, Supposedly, this was going to be done by January of last year, January, February timeframe. The doors were going to open on this like uh, grand hospitality house that would provide exactly the same type of relief that I would like to provide with this house. Um, but it's still not open. It's still not open. Community leaders in Vieques are like, yeah, we saw the article, but nobody's talked to us about it. We haven't heard from the Vieques mayor about it. There have been no announcements to the community that this resource is available. So where's the $50,000? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and why didn't they come to me and say, hey, we want to support this. How can we help? You know, they co-opted your idea. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, to, 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 to me, I'm not proprietary in the way where I'm threatened by that. If the government wants to do what it's supposed to be doing and actually take yeah. care of the people and provide necessary services, I'm all for it. But that's not what they're doing. Yeah. They're stealing no, the that money. Like always. would have been very helpful for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where is it? It'd be I would I would be very um, intrigued if a journalist like Bianca Gralau, Puerto Rican independent journalist who's amazing. Everyone should follow her investigated that. And even if other journalists, independent journalists from the US or from other countries got interested and wanted to poke around, they might find out a few things. Okay, so all of you journalists that are watching this evening, <laughs> there you go, there's your, <laughs> there's your next assignment. <laughs> yeah. There's your next assignment, yeah. And then you can come on, what the F is going on in Latin America and 
dish. And share with us what you find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be great, actually. So, so what else should we talk about? Let me go through the the live chat real quick and see. Do any of you have any questions, follow up comments that uh, those of you viewing want to ask Monisha before we? Let me just see what we have here. A lot of people sympathizing with the colonialization of Puerto Rico. Hawaii's going through the same thing. You and I talked about that offline. That there's a... Let me check one of the other... So why don't we share with uh, the audience again where they can make a donation? Yeah, so now that we have the fiscal sponsorship, um, that whole donation process is changing. So what I would like to offer folks is um, for the ease of our transition toward the, the proper channels of donating, because I had been just receiving the funds myself, um, is instead to, if they're willing to reach out to me um, by email or send me a message um, on WhatsApp um, that they want to, and then I can connect them to the proper channels through our fiscal sponsor um, for that. I will okay, say that, yeah. oh, sorry, Terry. No, go ahead. <laughs> our goal is big. Um, we would like to pay off the house. We would like to pay off the van. We would like to have money to continue the renovation, to get solar, to, we, we have to do a lot of work on the house to make it safe um, for people with mobility needs. Um, so we also wanna be able to provide stipends for volunteers, people who are driving for transportation because we don't wanna be exploitative toward volunteer labor. We want to make sure, especially knowing the conditions that we have here, uh, people should not be working for free. So, um, you know, we want to be able to not just lean on our community, but support our community as well as they're supporting our needs. Um, so 300,000 is the big grand goal, which would allow us to do all of that and then give us some leftover to, for example, if the house is full and we receive calls because we receive a lot of calls still and I can't say yes to people at the moment, then we can try to put them up in a hotel. We can pay for their transportation if we can't provide it directly, you know? So we would like to have some padding in the budget to be able to um, meet additional needs as well as to move the, the project forward in other areas, um, accumulate, I mean, not accumulate it, but acquire potentially another property or another van, you know. Um, so, and can you share with the audience your um, your email address? Yes, it is Monisha. That's M O N I S H A at centrospr.org. C E N T R O S P R.org. Monisha at centrospr.org. And I'll include all of this in the program notes as well for, for everyone. Thanks. So, yeah. so what else? What is there anything that we we missed this evening? Any anything in closing that you want to share with the audience? It's it's such a valiant project. I don't even know that's not even the right word to use, but I mean it's just, you know, like you said, come. You're young, like the Perkins <laughs> told you, you're young, you've got an idea, come if there's anything you can do. Um, and so, and so here you are. Um, I, I would like to also ask for folks to consider if they're a member of an organization, um, like, you know, so many of the peace organizations in the U S or any other type of org that would be interested in helping us. If people would consider adopting the project, if their organization adopted the project and then committed to helping raise an amount, you know, like 5k, 10k, whatever is feasible, um, that would be really helpful. Um, and that's, so that's kind of, 
just also, you know, creativity if folks have other ideas on how we can get support. This is not the type of project that's easy to get grants and fellowships for. And also it's decolonial. So yeah. we're intentionally avoiding the usual channels of funding that would actually harm us, not help us. Uh, we prefer flexible um, uh, decolonial options <laughs> if possible. A solidarity collective. Yes. Of fundraising. Yes. It's great. It's great. And it's very humane on all levels. So, so and okay. we also are not going to do the trauma porn, you know, like we're not going to be plastering people's faces all over the internet to mm. show like, look how great we are. We're helping people. No, yeah. we respect our community's privacy. And for people who want to see the evidence of how their money is being used, we will do that in a respectful way, but definitely that will be something that they can feel confident and comfortable that, you know, we'll show our work. Um, Sounds like we should do some fundraising delegations. Come ooh, see you. Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> Come on Come down. <laughs> they have to be small right now. I mean, I understand, you know, they'd have to be yeah. fairly small, you know, like six or eight people, but, but maybe we should, look you know so for all of you watching this evening keep that you know in mind that, that that may be something coming down the road that we could do or some some fundraising delegate educational and fundraising educational with the fundraising yeah attached would be would be really great and um and to go see you know puerto rico that part of the caribbean that is kind of sort of not really U.S. citizens, <laughs> yeah. not full, <laughs> not full, yeah. unfortunately. Many of us I, don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's like I said earlier in the program, you know, you travel throughout Latin America and the Caribbean and the U.S., you, you hear the U.S. and Puerto Rico. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of support for, an ind for independence and decolonization yes. of Puerto Rico. Yes. Yeah. Statehood is not decolonization, contrary to the myth. Yeah. No. No. Just ask Hawaii. It, it tightens the vice. It's tightening the grip. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, everyone. I uh, boy, what a fantastic uh, conversation, Monisha, and really, really a very honorable project. And and I hope we can you know continue to build support uh, for your work for the people of Puerto Rico and. Um, and help create something that will service a lot of people in need and um, and create, you know, some non-privatized infrastructure <laughs> that is <Please>. beneficial <laughs> uh, to everyone. So, um, so I will let, uh, I'll let you go. We've been talking for over an hour and I'm wow. so thankful. Yeah, I know. <laughs> No, it went so fast. It was so fascinating. It's such a wonderful, the, the history is, is important that you shared and your project is really something beautiful that, uh, you know, a lot of us can get behind. And so, yeah, we, it was a full hour and a really, and it went by really fast. <laughs> thank so you. I, I, oh, thank you. I, I love, I, I love you as a person and I love, I love the time that you, contribute to our, our program, to our various episodes. I'm very thankful for that. And I'm very, very thankful um, always to have you as a guest and to uplift uh, Puerto Rico, which we in the solid Latin America solidarity community in the States, we, we always tend, you know, to look South, we look at Cuba, we look at Haiti <laughs> and, and, and Central America and South America. And we just don't even, you know, we so seldom throw Puerto Rico into that mix and it so needs to be there along with with all the other Caribbean island nations and and the rest of the Americas so so thank, thank you, you for, for your, your time for yours too and your solidarity with us and always Terry well yeah. thank you and thank you to our audience I just yes. want to remind <laughs> yeah Thank you. I want to remind all of you, you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean. We're a popular resistance broadcast. You can find us uh, on YouTube Live every Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. We broadcast simultaneously on the YouTube channels for the Convo Couch, Code Pink, and Popular Resistance. And post-broadcast uh, recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So. 
So thanks again, everyone. And we will see you uh, next next week. Bye, everybody.